You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 233. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today's episode is sponsored by Squarespace.com. To try out Squarespace for free for two weeks, that's 14 days total, head over to squarespace.com lively and enter the code lively at checkout to get 10% off of your service. At the end of this show, we'll be speaking with Lively Show listener Angela of barerootgirl.com about her experience with the service. Now let's move on. I am today traveling around Italy, or I should say flowing around Italy, with Gregorio Avanzini, who is a guest recently on The Lively Show about a month or two ago, so you may remember him. We are working on a project that he's really excited about, and I'm helping him with it as we flow and tour Italy. So this is a dream come true to be able to be in Italy, not only with someone that has such great energy, but also who is an Italian. So I'm super duper grateful for how the universe is flowing right now. And also another great thing that the universe has flowed is an amazing guest for the show today. Today we're speaking with Danielle Laporte of daniellelaporte.com. Many of you may know Danielle. She's a writer, really amazing author and speaker. In fact, she's one of the people that Oprah Winfrey has named one of the Super Soul 100, which is a group of people uniquely connecting the world together with a spiritual energy that matters. And that's such a great way to describe Danielle. She covers a lot of subjects on her site and in her books and writing, but also there's this undercurrent of spiritual energy that is consistent throughout. So this is going to be a really interesting episode because we're going to talk about a lot of white hot truths, which is actually the name of her newest book called White Hot Truth. We're actually going into a lot of white hot truths around energy and food sensitivities, therapizing and relationships, Facebook ads, zombies, and more. And before we get into the episode, I have two notes for you. Number one, you're going to notice, especially in the first 15 minutes of the episode, I sound super far away. That's because as I was recording for the first time ever on Skype, my microphone for some reason wasn't getting connected to Skype. So my headphones, which were tucked behind my ear and behind my shoulder actually, was capturing the audio for the first 15, 16 minutes. Then I figured that out and fixed it. So it sounds a lot better the second half of the episode, but just wanted to give you guys the heads up in the beginning. That's what's going on with the sound on my side. And also this has an explicit rating because Danielle likes to tell the truth, the whole truth, and that may involve swearing at times. So if you have little ones and you're listening, you may not want to listen to this episode around them. Let's go to the show. Danielle, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Mm, We finally did it. We finally did. All right. Let's start with how you got to where you are. I'm sure many people know, but for those that are new to you. Let me start with some super duper basics because this is the stuff I'm always curious from other people about. So like really the beginning, my parents were super young. My mom got pregnant in high school. My parents got married when they're like 18 and 20 and I'm Canadian. And those are the real basics. How I got here, barely finished high school, didn't go to college or university. I became obsessed with everything I wanted to learn about. I made phone calls. In those days, I faxed. I talked my way into every job, never lied, always in truth and integrity. Like, this is why I'd be awesome for this. This is why I can manage this. This is why you should give me this promotion. This is why that manager should actually work for me. And I worked for the Body Shop Canada, and I was a publicist, 
and I got people on radio shows, newspapers, and I learned a lot about the publishing industry, and I agented some people, and I became really well known for promoting futurists, and that brought me to Washington, D.C., and I was running a think tank on futurists and writing white papers about weapons of mass destruction. Here's a question. Why do you think you always felt without any of those regular authority accreditations and certificates behind you, that you could convince people that this is why you deserved it. Why did you feel that you did? Well, I was articulate. I wasn't a chump about things. I was really, you know, I really fully showed up with my poetics and being dynamic. And I've always been really clear. I'm here to make a difference. I'm super committed to leaving the world better than I found it. I'm really not interested in how things have been done. You know, I'm your classic possibility thinker, and I was made that very clear. And I've suffered a lot of fools, for sure. It's part of the initiation of figuring out how powerful you are, who you are, dealing with patriarchal mindset bullshit. But for the most part, really good at speaking up when I didn't think I was being treated fairly or other people were being treated fairly. And it doesn't mean that I wasn't shaken in my boots and I wasn't worried about getting fired or someone thinking I was a bitch, but I did it. I showed up and I spoke up. So you never had the authority approval. You know, a lot of people say like, well, who am I to do this? I get a lot of people that ask about that fearful question. I'm sure you get it too from your listeners. You just never really had it. No, never really had it. Why do you think that was? Do you think you just didn't, you weren't born with that gene? I don't feel like I have that too much either, but... I'm wondering what you think was the reason for that for you. I think it's my capacity to see people and to understand, like, I can see people's fear and I can see their boldness and their strength. Like, you know this when you're a kid, you know, this is why it's so difficult for teachers to be teachers because the kids are seeing right through you and kids have that capacity, you know, like you all know who you should be before the world tells you who you should be. Like kids know when someone's being a jerk. And they know when someone's confident and they know when someone's being loving. And that instinct, that intuition literally gets educated <laughs> out of us. But I didn't lose that. I was just like, oh, I know what her motives are. They're good. I know what his motives are. They're bad. So you were really able to read energy, to put it another way? Yeah. So communication and reading energy. And that'll get you to DC or the body shop, as the case may be. Yeah. Let's underline it. Everybody has that capacity. Everybody has that capacity. And I think what happens for so many people is you get enrolled in the program called robot training of life. I remember that class. You remember that? It's class after class and you pick and pay thousands of dollars for it. I mean, I think this is why zombie stuff is so popular right now in our culture. Like my kid is really into The Walking Dead, which I think is horrible and vulgar and violent and disgusting. And I like, I'm just like, please, can you not, could you something else, you know, but we talk about this. I'm like, that is the same consciousness that you can find in a lot of shopping malls. People just buying shit. They don't need to please people that they don't really love spending money that they don't really have or that they're working full time for. And, you know, we're all just sugared up and buying shit. And yeah, so that there's a zombie through line with where we're at right now, culturally. I mean, we've been here for a long time. So when you say that, do you think that people are watching zombie movies and recognizing themselves in the zombies? No. 
Okay. So I was wondering, I'm like, wait, is there actually a tie there? Or why do we think that's, do you have any theory on why you think it actually is popular right now? Literally? That is what, that is my theory is that it's a reflection of our level of consciousness. I mean, it's all coming out like where we're at in terms of consciousness comes out in music and every form of art always has always will. And TV is a form of art for better, for worse. Sometimes it's excellent. And this is, you know, it's a pulse point that is getting tapped into. This is a lot of us reflected on TV. And do you think that that's changing over time? Well, I think things take a long time to change. So this isn't like, you know, we're going to work through the zombie thing in a couple years. <laughs> it's a 2019. It'll be so last season. Right. It's gonna be, we're going to be so good. I think it takes generations for people to wake up. And I think there's really poignant, bright, sharp, lucid, pure consciousness, love, real progressive, true movement stuff happening on the planet. So there's lots of reasons to be stoked and to be hopeful and to like take heart for sure. Next to the zombification. One thing I'm noticing is it just seems all of it is more accessible for everyone. So you're no longer localized to whatever level of zombie or light worker <laughs> you might be surrounded by. You can easily type in a URL that will get you both things in two different tabs at the same time, right? That there's just so much available so quickly that we're seeing it all at the same time. And perhaps that's the biggest shift. It's just we're able to see everything all at once. Yeah, we're actually becoming holographic in that way. All this information is floating around us. This is why this is exact. This is a brilliant point because this is exactly why you need to be tuned into your stuff and you need to be getting really centered and really discerning about how things feel in your body and what you really think and what opinions and ideologies you really truly resonate with. Because as you just pointed out, there's so much information information is not the same as wisdom. There's so much information floating around, so easy to access. And what makes the perfect storm in all of this or the perfect test, depending on how you want to look at it is, you know, there's a lot of bullshit that is really well branded. It's so much easier to get $999 out of somebody for nothing. And the corollary is true, which is the true wisdom is harder to spot because it might not be as well branded or that teacher who really does have the answer that you need right now, not the answer for all time, not the answer for your whole life, but something that's really, you know, the real gold, harder to find, harder to hear, harder to tell the difference in relation to all the other stuff that's floating around. So it goes back to you and your power of discernment and really learning to see and sense for yourself because you, you can't trust good branding. Yeah, I think it's so interesting because there's so much available for the left brain, the logical information seeking part of us. But what I think that you found so innate and you didn't lose was when you were young, your connection to your right brain is one way of looking at it, or your heart would be another modality to look at it. But all of it is getting out of that left brain consciousness and seeking the direction from the deeper source, whether you see it as your heart, whether you see it as your instinct or gut, or whether you see it as your right brain, whichever way you look at it, none of those skills have been innately focused on in our culture in an upbringing or in an educational system. And now that's becoming the most essential quality that's going to help us 
like you said, make those discerning choices about what to spend our left brain logical time on in the first place. Yes, that's it. That's the superpower. It's going to be the number one mode of navigation. It's like the second generation of the Star Trek series where they had Troy on deck, the woman who was an empath and intuitive. Her skill set of intuition, of being psychic, clairvoyant, was just as valued, if not more, than data, than the robot who could access any kind of information at all times. So Google. (laughs) Yeah, it's your heart with your intelligence versus Google. And your heart is going to be what wins every single time. And it's always been the case, but now it's just more noticeable, I think because we have so much available to run amok with the left brain all day long that it's so overworked even perhaps that we're out of overwhelmment going, oh my God, this isn't working anymore. You're great. This is another excellent point because I don't think it's about the quantity of information you take in. So because it might be easy to think, well, if we're stuffing ourselves with all this information, we can't hear ourselves. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think our capacity to consume and process information is huge. It's getting bigger. Like our brains are going to be able to keep up with, I mean, our brains are making the external system, but without creating silence, stillness, real space, peace in your life, you won't be able to process the information. You won't be able to hear your own wisdom. You won't hear that heart. So this is why. I don't like the word tools for everything, but I do think of meditation as a tool. This is why the tool and the technology of meditation is where it's at. So you can hear and you can process. This is why clean eating, detoxification, purification of your physical body is where it's at. So you can process all the information. And I also think, you know, I would include in that, you know, in those super technologies, I would include prayer, which I think is different than meditation. I mean, prayer is a conversation or an invocation that you have. Meditation is something very different, similar, but different. Well, that's interesting. So prayer for you, because I know you love the smorgasbord of religions and ideologies and spiritualities, and you don't ascribe to any one of them, though like you and I, we both have a Catholic background growing up. We don't have that now. So how do you view prayer now? And I'm curious because I kind of now have a law of attraction connection to it, but I'm curious what your connection to prayer is. Prayer for me is, I just am straight up asking for what I need, but I don't do it without doing my work before. Like, Sometimes you are just on your knees and you're begging for mercy and you're wanting, you're needing to be blessed. You just need a break and you got to believe that, you know, life is there to support you in every possible way. And that's awesome. That's like, you know, you're turning to a friend in need. You're going to your maker and saying, please, right? But I have a regular practice in my life where I'm keeping my vessel clean, where I'm doing everything I can on a daily basis to be present, to really hear with all of my senses and capacities to generate compassion. So I feel like my relationship with the universe is like, it's really dynamic and it's really collaborative. And I want to do my work. I want to meet the universe halfway. And like any relationship, I mean, it's just like a romantic relationship or a friendship. There's times when you are doing more than your share 
Like you're really, you're like super showing up. And there's times when you just got to say to your partner, can you get us through this one? So I meditate, live my life clean, show up uncompassionate. And there's lots of joy in that and pleasure. It's not about austerity for me. And then for, so for me, sometimes prayer is just like, I need to please bless this project today. Bless me today. Please remove this pain. Please remove any confusion and replace it with clarity for me. And then the other type of prayer, the other type of conversation for me with prayer is just like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So in that respect, I feel like I'm in a state of prayer all the time. Super grateful for absolutely everything. So here's one of the things I just have been thinking about. As people go from unconscious to sensitive to energy and of all kinds, of foods, of people, of auras, of music, of television, of media, of vibration. I feel like what I've seen, and I've been traveling around the world, so I've seen a lot of Bali and Abita. I've seen a lot of spiritual places too lately. What it seems is you go from unconscious, eating whatever you want, doing whatever you want, to becoming sensitive, and then especially empathics and empathy, and the, the people are like, oh my gosh, this person's energy just wrecked me for days. I actually now see it as that's the middle ground. That's not the final destination where right now I feel like the people I'm meeting mostly assume that this new sensitivity is their ending place. This is where they've become because before they were not there. Now they feel like they've come to some final destination, but I'm starting to see it as just a stepping stone to trans sensitivity, which means, yes, I can sense the sensitivity of foods or people or experiences, but I'm no longer defined by them. I set my own frequency. I can consume the foods that once like gluten and dairy, for example, that many people become sensitive to. I thought I'd always have to be. And then I realized, well, this is just subconscious beliefs. And if I can change my subconscious beliefs around them, I can change my own body's reaction to them. So I'm no longer defined by that. But yes, I'm now aware of the sensitivity, but I don't have to stay there. What is your thought on that? I think this is brilliant. So I'm a yes for trans sensitivity, but I'm a both end. So what happens in that middle place that you're talking about where people are becoming aware of like, wow, gluten affects me and that person affects my mood. I'm like, okay. So part of that is waking up, seeing clearly, okay? The shadow part of that, the downside of that is sometimes when we realize that we can sense things, that we feel things, that we're processing things, even if it's just our digestion, that quote unquote power, <laughs> that capacity, that ability makes us feel a little bit special, makes us feel a little bit better than other people who don't quite get it. And we like that specialness and we become hypersensitive or we hang out in that space because somehow that sensitivity, that specialness, it privileges us. We feel a little bit more superior than others, even though we, we might not be aware of it. We certainly might not admit to that because, you know, being spiritual is all about being one and harmony and we're all equal. Okay. But some of us hang out there and it actually becomes a new way for our ego to get fed. Yeah. It, it gets a special treatment. I mean, what the ego wants, the dark side of the ego is the ego wants that specialness and it wants to be separate so that it feels unique. The ego is constantly, constantly defining itself as other, as me against the world, as this is black, this is white, this is what I deserve, this, okay, 
this is what you deserve. So we might hover there for a while. Then if we stay on the path, if we're really committed to growing, you will start to have the revelation that, okay, you're not that special. You may have these heightened capacities because you worked for them. You actually may be working harder than other people. You may be more aware and more gifted than other people. doesn't make you better than anybody. You move on. You take a step forward. You'll start to see that specialness is actually blocking a lot of pleasure from you, a lot of joy, but actually worse than that, it's divisive. It's keeping you from what you want the most, which is communion and connection and unity with the people around you, with life, with God, your definition of God. Here's the but I'm coming to with the trans theory, the the trans sensitivity theory. Yeah, I want to get into the trans stuff. Yeah. So, yes. Do you have the capacity to tolerate toxins because you could be that awesome and that powerful? Yeah. Is that what you want to spend your energy on? Because you do have not finite, but you do have a a certain capacity for energy and talent today. You're going to get better and bigger and more expansive and more conscious tomorrow. But today, you're only as powerful as you're going to be today. So it's like, look, do I think I could walk on water? Yes, I do. Do I think I could bend spoons? Yep. Do I think I could be super incredibly psychic? Yes. Is that what I'm going to take my bucket today's bucket of energy and capacity that I have and spend my time on? No. There are facts. There is evil in the world. There are toxins in the world. There is pollution and bad chemicals that affect this, you know, what Michael Beckwith calls, you know, the body temple, your body. There are laws that we subscribe to as humans in this dimensions. This is poison this is healing. This is gravity. This is ascension. This is light. And this is dark. These are universal laws. And there's things that, you know, that universal law seeps into this dimension. And we commit, we all sign up to these rules, to what it means to be human. There's poison and there's healing. So do I want to spend my energy trying to transmute poison? No, I ain't got that kind of energy. Here, maybe this is misunderstood then. What I'm saying is, for example, looking at when I was clearing the subconscious beliefs around food, I had this subconscious belief that the foods like the gluten dairy free for me was a big thing that I was clearing and looking at. And I found I had these subconscious beliefs that I felt closer to source or universe or connection. And that if I ate cheese, for example, that I didn't. And for me, the trans sensitivity was recognizing everything is the universe. The farmer that made the cheese in France is part of the universe. He's a part of God, universe, whatever source energy you want to call it. And so is the cow. And so is the dairy. And so is that a part of this, you know, if you really look at it from a scientific perspective, I mean, the whole human race is the size of a sugar cube in terms of solid matter. So this is just kind of the, the matrix. And if, if this is the game I'm playing and it has fancy brie cheese that I sometimes want to eat, I don't have to eat it all the time. But if my decision and discernment is to eat some cheese, I don't have to think that I'm less close to God in doing so. And neither does my body need to process it in a compromised manner that it was for a period of time. I guess that's what I'm saying. So I'm not 
saying that people are going to go eat poison or walk on water just to prove these things, but they can have more discernment and more fun with things that they previously rejected out of the sensitivity can actually become a part of the mix again in an enjoyable way. Or people that they aren't at the highest level of frequency, they can be around them and have compassion instead of empathy. So they're no longer dragged down to the emotion the other person's at with them, but can stay at their higher frequency and share and actually help them by being the light, by being at that place. That's my take on the transsensitivity. Yes to all of that. And so the, the human interaction is a great example. Yes, you can have compassion for it. Let's just say that toxic person, right? You can have compassion for them so they're not dragging you down instead of empathy and letting the energy weigh you down. And that comes from being able to discern and having an awareness that they're toxic. So it doesn't mean that their toxicity isn't toxic, that that's gone away, that it's different because they are of God and it's all the same thing. And it doesn't mean that cheese, I mean, you use the example of a farm in France. Let's just assume that is ethically produced, you know, beautifully energized cheese. And that is going to go down a lot easier. And part of that discernment is knowing that XYZ cheese is not ethically produced and it's full of chemicals and I'm going to have to work harder to bless this and transform this so this goes down easy and this is a joyful experience. Exactly. It's the discernment, right? It's discernment and it's your strength as an energy worker. It's how deft you are with your tools. I see you're toxic. I have the tools to protect myself and to generate a ton of compassion. That's the only way you can do it. It has to be both. You have to see what's really going on. Call it for what it is. Have the tools to protect yourself and then make some choices based on love and joy. Sometimes you got to walk away. You don't eat the cheese. (laughs) Or sometimes you do because it brings you love and joy. Totally. Listen, I'm very clear. Like, my most spiritual ascendant moments are the times where I've had a green smoothie and a cigarette in the same day. Like this calls for a marble and I'm going to love this smoke. Like I never loved a cigarette before. And that's pleasure and lust and joy and fuck. Yeah. Though there are moments for that. So here's a question. One of the things you mentioned in White Hot Truth is, and this is very apt for me right now because I'm going on 16 months traveling the world alone. (laughs) So you talk about befriending your loneliness and going from alone with a lowercase a to alone with an uppercase a. And I'd love to hear you explain a little bit more about that. Well, my experience has been, you know, being a seeker, even being an entrepreneur, being a leader, a business leader, leader for my business. Alone. I feel alone frequently, not all the times, not even often, just frequently. And I can't shake it. I can't seem to get away from it. And if I just am with it, it's actually not that bad. I mean, the feeling of spaciousness and centeredness and sometimes just that taste of godliness, like I'm down with it. It doesn't feel negative or heavy at all, but it's not a I haven't been able to escape it, so I'm going to embrace it. And the more I embrace that, just really kind of sit at the center, the less loneliness, the aloneness with a small a, I feel. You know, here's the divine irony. When I can be with the big alone, 
I feel so much more connected to the universe, to like all the, the starry stuff and the guy on the subway next to me. And I think this is part of spiritual maturity. You know, like the, the great cliche, like you come in alone and you go out alone. And when you realize that, there's this kind of sweet, bittersweet relief. It's the same thing. You're the big alone. You're the one with the hand in creating your reality. It might all fall apart. It's going to be you and your belief system. And that's the way it is. And if you don't resist that, then you see all the support that is there. And then when you move into the alone moments, there's a sweetness to it. There's, you know, less resistance, more acceptance, more beauty. I think you just taught me something with my little sensitivity, transsensitivity analogy. I think you just showed me as you were speaking, what I just saw is the little A alone and loneliness, if we use that as a description to make it easy for listeners. So loneliness is in the sensitivity. <laughs> and then alone with the big A, the connection to source and everyone and everything while being alone and going in and out alone and having that spiritual maturity is the transsensitive approach. So you understand the other one, but you transcend it. You go beyond it. You're not stuck there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. That's what I'm learning. <laughs> That's where I'm straddling right now. So I'm curious right now, what are your current core desired feelings lately? Beautiful, light. Then there's one, one I keep private, ecstasy, unified, and abundance. So there's, what is that, five or six? And they've shifted a lot in the last three months. Like abundance used to be wealthy. And, you know, that really was tied to like, you know, my career stuff. And I'm just like, ah, oh, fuck it. <laughs> Money is super, but like wealth comes in so many forms. And my clarity around that was like, if I just focused on the cash and there's lots of ways to make cash and save cash and all that kind of stuff. But I just focused on that form of wealth. Then I'm just shutting off all these other channels and I always resisted the term abundance because I feel like it's been so co-opted by the new age. It was like so flaky, but really I want an abundance of, I want, I want to feel abundant, abundant love, abundant cash, abundant food, abundant space, whatever, abundance. I love that. And one thing I've always wanted to ask you is about relationships because I always find that such a fascinating subject. What have you learned about relationships? I know that's a very broad question, but I want you to then be able to take it wherever you want to take it. So I'm going to keep it purposely open. Oh, wow. Here's something really specific that I learned about romantic relationships. And I think this could possibly be really useful for women or super holistic dudes. Okay. It is not your job to be the therapist in the relationship. And when I realized that, and that I was therapizing my then partner, I was simultaneously very relieved and terrified because the way that holistically inclined women tend to play the therapist in the relationship is a way that we are controlling. I mean, the dark side of that is, is like really manipulative. The sweet, innocent light side is like, we're just trying to get our needs met and we're trying to really create the beauty and the love and the intimacy and the connection that we, not only that we deserve, but we know that our partner really deserves. Doesn't mean they want it. <laughs> and when I got that, 
and I stopped. See, when you stop that kind of behavior, the space is kind of empty. You have to just wait. You have to trust. You really just have to show up as your needy, dynamic, powerful, tender self without any, you know, intellectual tools really to get someone to work on their shit. And you know what happens? Either your needs get met or they don't. And you're going to have to make a choice from there. Or you're going to have to change your needs. Maybe your needs are really unhealthy. Or you realize your needs are your needs and they're divine and they're genuine and they're yours and you deserve to have them fulfilled. Maybe you find out there's other ways to have them fulfilled. I mean, let's be really clear. I think everybody who's a grown-up listening to this knows that your partner cannot meet cannot and should not and will never (laughs) meet all of your needs as a human. So in all of this, you might realize, you know, maybe I need to get my need for humor and adventure met somewhere else, some other way. And like, that's super cool. But there are super legit, super divine needs that your romantic partner is really put on this planet (laughs) to fulfill for you. For me, I, I mean, you, and you need to know what those are for yourself. For me, you know, sexual intimacy, emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy. I mean, that's the magic trifecta that I want from my man. And if those aren't being met, then I can't use therapy to try and get them met. I have to allow them to be met. And if they're not being met, I got to go as painful as it can be sometimes. That is beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I really resonate with a lot of what you just said there. So I deeply appreciate you sharing that. And one thing I I love asking people that have been asked a million times, a million questions on a million interviews is, what do you wish someone asked you that no one's ever bringing up? I really love to talk about what's current for me. So you know, when if there's ever a question around like, what are you struggling with now? That's always an interesting question because I'm I'm always very interested in someone's motive. Sometimes people ask that question from a really shady place. They're really trying to take you down a notch and make you more accessible and relatable to people. And then I don't, you know, I'll answer the question genuinely, but not in a fully transparent way. And that sometimes that question comes from a really loving human to human place of like, I want to know, and how can your answer help other people? So I think that's a really beautiful, powerful question. I like being asked it when it's coming from the right place. That's the question, yeah. So what are you going through? Well, I am really pissed off, frustrated, disgusted with my industry in some ways right now. And to give this some context... I'm just coming off of a major book campaign. A book campaign in terms of social media, it's like this nine-month ordeal. (laughs) And it starts with social media, and there's lots of airplanes and lots of gigs. And so for me, there were like so much beauty and richness and sold-out events and, you know, thousands and thousands of hugs and book reviews. And oh, my God, and I sold boatloads of books. And... There's an underbelly to anything that involves selling money, visibility, fame, or Facebook. (laughs) And it's very easy to get pulled out of your center when you play the game. I don't want to play the game anymore. I'm not dropping out. I mean, I'm here to serve. I got to create. 
I'm getting back to what I'm really in love with, why I really want to serve, where the joy is. And I'm really clear with what I don't want to do anymore. Like I'm so fucking sick of having to consider the Facebook algorithm and how that affects my stuff. Like, I, you know, I want to write something from the heart that has to do with my search. That is about raising consciousness. That's about some comfort. That's about evoking the truth. That's a wake up call. And then I got to worry about Facebook advertising and thousands of dollars a month. So that pure hearted offering of mine gets seen by people who probably really want to see it, but things are getting so noisy in the social media space that really it's all become, well, 80% of it is pay to play. And so I'm really frustrated with that right now. And, you know, I built this with my incredible team who I consider family, you know, you know, we built this beast, this technological beast. I have a million dollar website does everything but make toast. And we've made millions of dollars. And now we are spending so much money, ridiculous amounts of money, ridiculous amounts of money. We're, We're just, you know, I'm not in a place of profit anymore. And ridiculous amounts of energy to keep up with the game. And I'm getting back to my heart now. And you only get back to your heart after you burn it all the fuck down. So, you know, one of my favorite Zen sayings is now that the barn is burned down, I can see the moon. So we're burning down the barn and we're having really deep conversations on my bus about what I really want to do and what it really means for me to be a social entrepreneur. I want to do some radical stuff. You know, I might that don't hold me to do this. We're in the process of brainstorming, but you know, I want to do more pay what you can for people I, I have a real hard time with having to operate in one currency. Like, you know, 80% of my audience and my revenue comes from the U.S., but I'm based in Canada. So that means, you know, if someone's going to be a Desire Map licensee, it's $2,500 for a license to teach the workshop, et cetera. That means someone, you know, my fellow Canadian sisters have to pay about $3,000 for it. That's not okay with me, but I've had to play this game, you know, so... There's women in Poland who want to be desire map licensees. They can't afford $2,500 US. So I've got to figure out some radical stuff to do what I want to do, which is make my version of little nuggets of light, whether it's a little blog post or, you know, it's a little business in a box that we're offering to people. I need to make that more accessible to people. That was the whole point of starting out on this. So that's where I'm at right now. I love that. Actually, it reminds me of a situation. I was having a conversation with someone who's got a seven-figure business easy, and I was talking to the husband who kind of runs the business side of it, and they have a very successful platform. Like I said, seven figures easily, maybe multi-seven figures. And he said, you know, I know how to... He's looking for a CEO, and he thinks he's looking for a specific type of person in mind because he said he's really good at selling 10,000 units of something but he doesn't know how to give away a million to make a real movement out of the work that they're doing. And it's kind of interesting because what you're saying is similar to me. It's echoing similar sentiments to what he's talking about, but from a different place. Like I think you would know how to give away a million if you wanted, but um, where he's kind of lacking from that. But that's the idea of really making a bigger impact seems similar for both of you. You cannot, this sounds so obvious and banal, you cannot be motivated by the money. 
It never works. It pulls you off course. You won't feel fulfilled and you won't make as much money. I can tell that's true. That's been my experience when you stop caring and you just help. They resonate. It's energy. People resonate with why you are helping. Is it for the money or for the help? Yeah. And something happens too. Like, I mean, we all know the cliches. People with lots of dough and they're not necessarily happy. They're miserable bastards, right? But let's break that down energetically. If you're doing something for the money, purely for the money, and you're not attached to your heart, to your service, to the joy, then what happens is that disconnection actually creates a lot of stress. And it's the stress that'll kill you, right? It's the stress that'll make you miserable even when the dough comes in. And that stress is blocking real abundance and real health and the hot body that you want and the intimate relationship you want. So, you know, all that to say that money as a primary motivation affects your whole life, everything in your life. Super toxic. Or anything that you want for that reason. I don't even think that's just money. I think anything wanted for a reason that's not authentically flowing in all aspects of yourself and the benefits for you or for others would be against the universal principles of the law of attraction and just how life works. I mean, to put it another way, it goes back to purity of motive. How pure is it? How connected is it to yourself, to your belief system, to love? You know, with love being the metric for as pure as it gets. Yeah. Actually, I heard this said, and this is a, from a book that's 101 years old, and it's so clear and so simple. And I think it just summarizes what you're saying so beautifully. It talks about good versus evil and whether there is such a thing. And he points out, good is that which is in harmony with the universe and the whole, because that's everything. So if what you're doing is acting in the benefit of the whole, then it's considered good. And if it's out of benefit or harmony for the whole, system, the whole ecosystem, the whole universe, then it's evil. And that's just a term we use to talk about whether something's principally applied to benefit the whole or not. And so whenever we act in accordance with it, we're doing things that benefit the whole. So the benefit is coming to us as well. And then whenever we're not, we're perverting and then we're hurting ourselves just as much as the rest because we're a part of the whole. 100% down with that. What book is that? Oh, the master key system. Oh my God. I've handwritten it down. I rarely do this with books. One question I love to ask all of my people that I have on the show is this final question, which is what would you tell someone just starting out on this journey? Your voice will save you every time, every time. You must speak up and speak out about what's working for you and what isn't working for you, about how you feel, about what's ideal for you, about what you currently believe. Your beliefs may change. Your voice is everything. It's everything. It's how you create your reality. I think you're an amazing example of that. Going back to the very beginning of the interview where you said it's your voice and your ability to read energy that got you to everything that you are now and have been. Same for everyone. Seems to be working. Yeah. That's beautiful. Danielle, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thank you, Jess. And thank you, everybody who's listening. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And Danielle, thank you for coming on the show. If you want to send Danielle a message, you can do so over on Instagram at Danielle Laporte. And if you want to find me on Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter, you can find me at Jess C as in Canada Lively. For show notes for this episode, head over to JessLively.com slash Danielle Laporte. And before I share where I'm going next on my trip, let's talk with Lively Show listener Angela of BearRootGirl.com about her experience with today's sponsor, Squarespace.com.
Angela, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Jess. I'm really happy to be here. Tell us about yourself and your websites. I am a freelance recipe um, video creator and photo creator. I, I really need a better job title. That sounds bad. But <laughs> um, I started out blogging and I'm um, creating my own recipes and was approached by a couple companies to create recipes and then video recipes, kind of just my hands and captions and doing some product shots and miscellaneous things that companies need me to do that are kind of in line with the way that we eat, my husband and I, which is uh, around the paleo diet. It's been really great. It's really stretched my limits as a cook and as a photographer and and doing video and stuff as well. So I kind of split my time between trying to keep up my blogging efforts and doing recipes because that really uh, inspires me and keeps me fueled and then doing the you know, the stuff that actually pays (laughs) for my livelihood the rest of the time. So yeah. You have a few websites here. Why did you choose Squarespace for them? Well, when I started out years ago, I wanted to blog. I heard WordPress was where it was at, and I started there, but I had a lot of frustrations. I didn't know a lot about programming. Even basic HTML was beyond me, so I had some troubles getting it really the way I wanted it. I'm kind of type A. I really wanted it to be exactly the way I wanted it, so I searched out alternatives and found Squarespace, and I've been so happy. I I started with them and stayed with them and have since with other websites as well. What's your favorite thing about Squarespace? My favorite thing about Squarespace is definitely the morale and the just kind of the vibe that you get from them, which I think is just awesome. And they have such a great energy for creating products that really, um, I think, cater toward creative entrepreneurs and um, just this, you know, this like movement that we're seeing with a lot of people feeling motivated to do their own thing and make a living from it and be passionate about what they're doing. And, and I just really think Squarespace gets that and they create templates and, and different products, adding them into the sites that really help creative entrepreneurs to, to really embody what they want to do. That's awesome. And you have an amazing tip for those who are thinking about building a new blog or website. What is it? Yeah. When I got started, I would look at other sites and try and emulate them. And it didn't always execute perfectly the way I wanted and or they seemed to be doing it better. And what I found is I kind of changed my methodology and just started reaching out in some of these awesome creative Facebook groups that I'm in or for entrepreneurs and reaching out to other Squarespace users, especially maybe within an industry that's similar to mine and talk to them about how they're executing, you know, their sites, the the things they, they want to accomplish. And I've just found that's been way more helpful than just trying to look at these different templates and, and trying to copy things. And I, I've just found it's really helped me to, and I think it can do the same for others, to just really accomplish what you want to with your site and make it uniquely yours. That is a great idea. And for anyone else who's out there looking to give this a shot, you got free 14-day trial by going over to squarespace.com lively. And you can enter the code lively at checkout to get 10% off. Again, you get those by going to squarespace.com lively. And the 10% off discount is also lively at checkout. So Angela, where can people go find you online? Well, they can find all of my personal work, um, my personal blogging recipe efforts at barerootgirl.com. That's B-A-R-E-R-O-O-T-G-I-R-L.com. And all my freelance recipe work is going to be at paleofreelance.com. Angela, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. It was great. I appreciate it. 
Now for where I'm headed to next, I will continue flowing around Italy for an indeterminate amount of time. So we shall see where I go and what spots we end up hitting. If you want to follow along, you can do so over on Instagram. Until next week, may something wonderful happen to you today. Today.